0: You're listening to the Theology Mom podcast. And now here's Theology Mom, Krista Bontrager.
1: Hey everyone, this is Krista Bontrager. I want to thank you for watching today. And joining me on this video is my very good friend and co-host of all the things, the real Monique D.
2: Hi, (laughs) it is me. I am real in the flesh. Go
1: follow her on Twitter.
2: That would be interesting. Yes, I post something every other week. She might
1: tweet something. Uh, but we are going to be talking about a very important topic today um, in a previous uh, episode of all the things we had in a conversation about the woke church movement, which yes. is an outgrowth of a theory called critical race theory. And we talked a little bit about that. And uh, since that show, I've had a lot of questions from people saying, you know, how do I recognize this? What does it look like? So we thought that, you know, there's really no better way uh, to, to really try to explain this, but to show it. Yeah. And so we thought we would watch a video together uh, from YouTube by Eric Mason. He's a pastor. Yeah. And author. In Chicago. Maybe? I think so. Yeah. And author of a book called Woke Church. Yes. And he's really one of the leading voices advocating for uh, the woke Church, Church movement, mm-hmm. kind of a Christian version of critical race theory, coming mm-hmm. into many uh, even evangelical churches. We don't want to characterize this as a as a liberal movement because it's coming into many evangelical churches. yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. So, um, th- what we're going to watch today is from the MLK 50 um, event, which was sponsored by the Gospel Coalition, and the Gospel Coalition is a website of kind of a conglomeration of resources, articles, videos. Uh, It was started by Tim Keller um, Mm -hmm. in the um, New York. He is a pastor of a church in in downtown New York. And uh, the Gospel Coalition has many fine articles on its website. It's a very useful resource in many regards, uh, just offering short summaries of Christian positions on a number of issues. But they do take a rather pro-critical race theory stance oftentimes and and platform people that that um, promote some of these ideas.
2: This just makes me want to jump off right before we get started with it. Okay. I wonder why. Yeah, I, why. I do too. I, I wish yeah. I
1: could go to coffee with Tim Keller and ask him, like, you know, help me understand what's happening here. But um So they, they sponsored a conference, uh, for the MLK, uh, 50 Mm -hmm. and which, you know, in a way is a little bit sad to me. Like they're celebrating the assassination of Martin Luther King jr. Like why not celebrate his life? And, but you know, I know it was a very pivotal moment in history, but they were, it was a conference commemorating the 50th anniversary of, of his assassination. So we're going to watch this video. The video is only about 15 minutes. And we'll stop and start it and offer some comments as we go. Now, you know, that's the thing about um, these people that advocate for critical race ideas. You're going to see like long sections where we're not going to say anything because we largely agree. Like, yeah. here's some great points. This is awesome. And and then we're going to get into some points about halfway through and we're going to be like,
2: <laughs>
1: really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So. Uh, well, I think this is a really good sample of a, a message that has many of the, the critical phrases and ideas that you hear um, so that it will help people understand um, yeah. what this sounds like. So let's go ahead and cue the video and we're going to watch it together.
0: Good evening, family. God, are oh, you can do better than that? Good evening, family. God. Amen. Amen. Thank uh, those who brought me here from the ERLC and the Gospel Coalition. Let's give God a hand, praise for them for putting this on. Amen. Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Stand if you don't mind real quick. I'm reading from the CSB version of the Bible. I'm not going to wait till you get there. I'm just going to start reading. Verse 3, and verse 3 alone. Making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. You may be seated. I've been given the task of talking about unity. Somebody say unity. unity. Um, Dr. King made a statement.
1: Okay, stop. Says in the end, Okay, I just want us to notice that he only read one verse. Uh-huh. So, But it was a good verse. It's a good verse. I, I'm a big fan of Ephesians 4. It's one of my favorite passages in scripture. I just am always a little cautious when preachers only have one verse. And we're about to build something really important on top of it. Well,
2: I think when I heard that verse, and we'll have to talk about this much later on, but I thought, hmm, this is very interesting that we're having a conversation about unity mm-hmm. in light of where we're going. Where we're going.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: Okay, let's go we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. As I have been in the world of evangelicalism for over two decades, I learned the word evangelical uh, in my Intro to Theology class in 1995 on the campus of Dallas Theological Seminary in the intro to theology class, and they kept using this word called evangelical. And I was trying to figure out what in the world is an evangelical. You have to understand, I come from Chocolate City, Washington, DC. And, 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 and in light of that, I grew up in a climate of post- civil rights, post-black power, black bourgeoisie, post-hippie generation, uh, all the way into what we would call the original hip-hop generation. And so as I grew up in that particular milieu, I did not know what a evangelical was, and being the only black student in class around a myriad of light-skinned brothers and sisters, I didn't find myself in careful company to communicate my ignorance, but I went on a research hunt. We didn't have iPhones and internet back then, so I couldn't just go on real quick, look it up, and act like I knew what I was talking about like most of us do today. But what I had to do was I had to go on a search. Somebody say a search. Went on a search to look at what evangelicalism is, and as I began to see what evangelicalism is, all of the things from the historic Christian faith and its doctrine all the way into uh even talking about justice, I was like, boom, I'm cool with that. I'm down with evangelicalism. And so what I did was I went on okay, a, 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 a pim-
1: Okay, so I have a couple of questions. Okay. Um I know why you Why did- does he keep
2: saying, say after me? Yeah. Someone, somebody that's a black thing. Okay. Somebody's just like,
1: and let the church say, Amen. Okay. Amen. Okay. I All
2: knew right. you were somebody's wondering why they <laughs> Somebody's need to wondering repeat. that. All yes. right.
1: So my next question is, I know you did not grow up in a black church no. per se, um, but I'm just wondering in your experience as a black Christian, you know, I know you came to faith when you were 15, was the word evangelical something that you encountered no. or does this seem like a weird word to you? Do you no, sort of, I
2: learned about it and share in his universe. experience? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I went, so I went to Biola and that's where I first encountered that word okay. evangelical, like I was like, Okay, maybe yeah. I fall under that. Yeah. <laughs> but again, my experience was much like his. I was the only black student in a lot of my
1: classes. Yeah, predominantly white university. Yeah. Yeah. So then it was like, well, okay, this is what it is. Yeah. So then, uh, just to offer a quick definition of the word evangelical, it's kind of a, it's based on the Greek word euangelion, which means good news. I know somebody
2: with a name like that. <laughs>
1: Let me stop. We'll just. Keep it going. All right. So it's based on this Greek word "euangelion," which means good news. Okay. That's where we get the word gospel. Mm-hmm. And an evangelical is it's an outgrowth of um, a movement called fundamentalism from a hundred years ago that was this sort of cross denominational movement of conservative Christians versus more liberal progressive Christians. So to be an evangelical was to affirm the fundamentals of the faith. And primarily, it's someone who is marked by um, a belief that people need to have a personal faith. Mm-hmm. They need to make a personal decision, place their faith, trust, and hope in Jesus Christ. And that we are uh, we believe in the proclamation of the gospel, the euangelion, the good okay. news. So that's what an evangelical yeah. is. Now, it's come to be sort of a pejorative term in our culture that has taken on a very uh, not nice connotation, but the original meaning of the word evangelical was just somebody who believes in the preaching of the gospel and the need for an individual call to faith.
2: Well, I also wonder if the pejorative term is evangelical or if it's white evangelical, uh, which is something that we will also get to. I think if I'm remembering correctly later on in the video, but, um,
1: Yeah. Yeah. So just to offer like a really quick uh, thought bubble about what that is.
0: Okay, let's go. Pilgrimage of going to evangelical schools. I went uh, to, to pilgrimages embracing evangelical theology, embracing its pillars and embracing every different thing that would make me evangelicalized, if you will.
1: That's not a word.
0: And I marinated in evangelical culture, spoke at any conference that you could think of uh, where leading evangelical speakers were. I immersed myself in evangelical culture. But as I began to go on this journey, I began to notice that there were some diametrical differences between the doctrine and the duty. And as I began to see diametric differences between the doctrine and the duty, I began to do like a few Christians have, my uh, African-Americans, my Boricua, my, my, my Dominicanos, and also and also some an of an my w- white millennials.
2: is like a Puerto Rican word. For oh. beautiful began or, to back
0: yeah. up from evangelicalism, and the reason being is because there was Could a deep wrong. inconsistency. So many of us began to say, man, the heck with it. We're falling back from evangelicalism. We love Jesus. We love the Bible. We love inerrancy. We love justification. We love sanctification. We love glorification. We love all of the solas, We love all of those things, but we don't love the functional orthopraxical culture that doesn't line up with biblical orthodoxy.
1: Okay, let me let me summarize what he's saying. Okay. <laughs> so um, Orthopraxical, what did he say? I don't know. That's a made-up word. All right. so in Christian theologies, there's the, the idea of orthodoxy and orthopraxy. Orthodoxy is to have correct doctrine. It's mm-hmm. to have correct beliefs. Mm-hmm. Orthopraxy is to have practices or life behaviors that flow out of your beliefs or your orthodoxy, yes. Orthodoxical—that might be a made-up word.
2: Um, but you know, I got to give it to my brother. I'm not—I'm not gonna come because I will make up some words too. I—it's part of the culture. All That's right. all I'm gonna say. We—we we will make up a word, okay, to fit the situation. Okay. Bless him. Yes.
1: Bless him. So what he's arguing here is that uh, the ev- word
2: wasn't lining up with the
1: deed. Yeah. That that no. e- they they felt like evangelicals who might have right beliefs weren't lining up their lives to obedience to christ they weren't having proper orthopraxy
2: yes okay yeah the walk wasn't matching the talk there it is that's what we would say that'll preach Mm -hmm.
1: yes go
0: all right let's do it i began in my mind to give up on evangelicalism i began to read the book of ephesians and the gospel globetrotter himself paul Began to walk me through the corridors of theological excellence. In chapter one, he walked me through the triune unity of the triune clique that rolls thick.
1: I've no idea. He got in the latter
0: part of that chapter and talked about intimacy. Chapter two, he talked about how every human being is torn up from the floor up and messed up and in need of the desperate grace of God. Then he began to talk about, by grace are you saved through faith. Then, boom, he fast-forwards over to chapter 3, and he begins to talk about the universal mystery of the gospel as shown in and through the church. And then uh, he he put his pen down, parenthetically, I believe, at the end of that chapter to do a praise break because whenever you have proper theology infused into you, you can't help but lift your hands. You can't help but honor the name of the Lord. So he said, now unto him who is able to do exceeding, abundantly above all you ask or think according to the power that is at work within you. So he got into that, and then he got from the orthodoxy to the orthopraxy. Chapter 1 through 3 is about your doctrine, but chapter 4 through 6 is about your duty, and sandwiched between spiritual warfare and weighty theology is the unity of the church. In general, I agree with that summary. That's a good summary of Ephesians. And there are unavoidable exegetical items in here that I cannot avoid even as an African-American. I want to give up and shoot the longest jumper away from evangelicalism. But the Bible won't let me, Paul says, that he wants us to attain to the unity of the faith later. What, What convicted me is he said, make every effort. As I look at the idea of making every effort, it means be diligent to preserve something. In making every effort, it's a present active participle, meaning that it's a verbal adjective. It's not just supposed to be what you do, it's who you are. So making every effort is something that we as believers cannot help but functionally pursue. But the challenge is, is we're having opportunities and times where we're getting together, where the effort becomes frustrating because even just as far as last week, we had Stephon Clark shot at 20 times.
1: Okay, stop for a in second. In his
0: back. Okay, so I think this is a
1: really important point that, mm-hmm. that he's making about that keep keeping unity requires effort. Yes. And it requires effort. By everybody,
2: yes, both sides, all all the sides, all the sides. Whoever's involved, you're looking at an octagon. You gotta, you want (laughs) to stay together. You gotta, everybody gotta hold hands. Yeah,
1: and this really echoes Jesus's words in the High Priestly Prayer in John 17, where he prays for his disciples Mm -hmm. that they would have unity, just as Jesus Jesus and the Father Mm -hmm. have unity, and that they are one, and that we would be one. And I think that reflecting on unity in the body of Christ isn't a very important theme in the new Testament. We have Paul's words in first Corinthians 12 about, um, the body of Christ and all the parts mm-hmm. and how every part is important and, and every part, uh, serves a function and helps to keep the body healthy. So I wholeheartedly like I'm on board with that. Yeah. Um, everyone needs to make an effort. We can't be passive. we, we have responsibilities well, to, to keep it to keep the unity.
2: And relationship is that anyway. It's work. Yes. So it you can't have a relationship with only one part or one person doing the work.
1: Very good. Yeah. So now we're going to start going into the application of this very fine doctrine. So I, I, in principle, I agree with pretty much everything he said here. I would. Um. I'm. I don't. I wish he had given a little more information about why he came so disenfranchised with evangelicalism. I'm not totally clear about that, but okay.
2: What I hear him saying is that in the orthodoxy, and maybe I'm jumping ahead or maybe I'm assuming and like inserting my own thoughts in, but that perhaps there's a presumed unity okay. among evangelicals okay, that really isn't aligning with, what the experience of some are, you know, what's real for some. That
1: helps. Okay, I appreciate that, filling that in for us. Okay, let's keep going. Now let's see where we're gonna go with, with all of this, this groundwork.
0: Yard. And if you know anything about being in the hood, if somebody's running after you with a gun and says, hold up, you don't care if it's the police, JoJo, Elizabeth, or whoever it is, you're running because there's a gun. That's true. And now we're not even as believers being on the same page with that and going retroactively back with this reality. And so now I'm stuck with the tension of standing here, wrestling through the fact that the Bible demands that we pursue unity. As it says we pursue unity, it asks, it asks us to keep or preserve. That means to continue what has already been secured. So unity is twofold. Actually threefold unity was secured by Jesus on the cross Jesus will ultimately come back wreck shop and functionally put us in the unity that he bought us in so the problem isn't the cross and the resurrection and the pro- and the problem isn't the eschatological reality of our union with one another it's the dash in the middle and in that dash in the middle we have to wrestle with and fight with the reality of what in the heck does it mean for particularly black believers and white believers to fight for unity. I got a couple of things and then I promise I'm out your way.
1: Okay, let stop it there for a second. Okay, first of all, I got a question culturally. Mm-hmm. Why do black pe- preachers say that? Why, I, I, uh, say what, uh, they're uh, they out of their uh, just Let me just say this and then I'd be out of your way. Oh, because they're not going nowhere. <laughs> Every single black preacher I've ever heard says that phraseology. Because he
2: is not going nowhere. He is trying to tell you that you can settle down for a minute. I will be out of your way in just a minute. But first I'm going to deliver this message. And I don't care if it takes me one hour, two hours, or until dinner. I (laughs) hope you brought chicken in your purse. (laughs)
1: It's just how it's just a common thing. It's just a Yeah. All right. Yeah. So Back to his doctrinal point here, um, which I think is a very fine point that that the unity that Christ bought Mm -hmm. on the cross is there's nothing wrong with that. Like it's real. It's 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 achieved the unity that we have in the spirit realm through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he accomplished. Like we really are united in the spirit. Yes. Um, And the unity that we will realize one day in in glory um, that's real. Like, we know that that's going to happen. That's a, that's a promise that we can count on. The problem is, is how do we live in what theologians call the now and the not yet? The, the now of the reality that Jesus has died, he was buried, he was resurrected, the Holy Spirit lives in us, so there's a supernatural component to us that is here and now And the kingdom has Mm -hmm. come and his Jesus disciples are supposed to bring the kingdom near the now. Yes. But yet we are living in this, this tension of we're surrounded by evil and pain and suffering and, and sinful people and sinful human systems and structures. Mm -hmm. And, and so that's our now, but the not yet is, is coming Mm -hmm. and we know it's coming and we have like that, that, preview of coming attractions that that lives in us that's the power of the holy spirit and so you we're living in the now and the not yet or what he calls the dash in between like how do we how do we do this well i also think that the
2: not yet is as real as the now yes even though it is not yet and the way i think of it is living in my flesh as fallen and yet redeemed Mm. How do I, as fallen, continue to work out that part of me that is redeemed, and and continue to have that outpouring that is good and righteous and true, and work to to all of those things? Yeah, in my own fallen state and condition. Yeah, and how do we, as the church, do that? And in like you're you're saying in a system that is broken.
1: Yeah. So I totally agree with the premise of what he's setting up, like that is the struggle. I do find it a little confusing for me. Like, why is he setting up this, almost this dichotomy of this, this greatly affects whites and blacks and our relationship. Like what about other minorities or other people? Why are they not in the conversation? But that's maybe there's something I just don't understand there. Um,
2: I just think historically the conversation in race has been about whites and blacks. I think it's, um, just more recent that the terms like people of color to be inclusive of all minority groups has come about. But I, I just think in America, the history is the white and black. Okay. In those like race conversations.
0: All right. Well, let's see where we go here. Let's keep going. What unity doesn't look like is number one, ignoring the, the impact of the past on the present. One of the things as a pastor in counseling people as a part of my regular pastoral regimen is when they come to meet with me, first question is, how do you come come to know the Lord? And the second question is, talk to me about your family. And the reason why I talk to them about their family is because I know, and many counselors in here know too well, that it's impossible to deal with the issues in this person's life unless they're saved and unless you deal with the family history that put the person that's in front of you, in front of you. Black and white evangelicals, (laughs) we have.
2: Okay, so I personally think that this is a really good point. Oh, I do too, yeah. That looking at the past to understand how we arrived at the present is really important. And yeah, I just, I think that that's really good. And I Um,
1: liked his analogy because it helps to provide some context of like, hey, when you're in a family situation, this crisis that the family is in, that they're coming to counseling for, didn't just happen yesterday, more than likely. that There was, you know, a hundred decisions that came before this, or there was generational decisions that contributed to this crisis moment. I mean, I think it's a wonderful analogy to understand, because I think that there is a relevant point here. And I think that This is a good point that people who advocate for critical race theory make is the importance of history. And I think that um, many white people, I'm not going to say all, but but many white people have a tendency to want to downplay the impact of history. Yes. And that they want to downplay the connection between the present and the past. Yes. And, And that there were things that happened historically for the black American black community that contributed to arriving at this moment.
2: Yes. One of the things um, in my job in social work is when I look at a client's situation, I like you're saying, like I realize that this situation that you're in today is because of choices and situations that happened before, a year before, 20 years before, whatever. A generation yes, before. A generation yeah. before. And I also am aware that this situation that you're currently in may take some unraveling and time to get out of. Yeah. And that's kind of when I look at race in the church, like hmm, this situation here might take some unraveling. It might take and some time. It may take some time to get out of. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I, I think that's a very fair point. So yeah, I'm glad you had to stop that. Okay. Let's keep going. I
0: have to go back to our familiar history next year is going to be 400 years from 1619 when the first black slaves made their way into uh, 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 Jamestown. And what we're going to have to ask ourselves the question of what does our familial past have to do with our familial present? Some of my white brothers and sisters act like our family history in the past has nothing to do with our family present, but I rebuke that in the mighty name of Jesus Christ and I call you to repentance, to begin to stop asking us to give you books. Stop asking us to do research. Listen, y'all were able to do mathematic equations through some black women but then your own stuff and to be able to go to the moon and put a flag in it and dance around and do the west coast strut. How in the world can you go from the earth to the moon and you can't do research on the racial history that we need to fight in this country? I don't want to be traumatized by teaching you History. I want you to grow up in your spiritual maturity and grow up in your faith and go on the sanctifying journey of overriding the patriotic, patriotic way that we've learned history in America. Okay, can we okay, stop that? Okay, we gotta we stop. Pa- All right.
2: Okay, hey, I'm gonna start. Okay, okay. Because I I hear what he's saying. As a black woman, I'm just gonna put it out there. I hear what he's saying. Like if I have 12 white friends who want to understand what's happening with race and why we got here, you know, like I'm I'm. I can give you an answer. You know that's okay. But when it's like, well, like simple things. When when did when did slavery end? Okay, like you you can find that out on your own. Like we all have history books and all that. But what I don't like is this. There's no room for you to come to me with your honest and sincere questions. It it takes it. From being an our problem to just being a your problem because you're white. The burden, all the burden must now fall on you. I have no responsibility to share story with you. I this means that in relationship and in unity, we don't walk this road together, which he was just talking about. He just Let's said be in unity. Make every effort. Make every effort. And so it's like, yeah, like I get it. Sometimes, especially when I was at Biola, I realized everybody had a question. I was like, oh my gosh. From my hair to skin color and do you use sunscreen to colonial questions like just all kind of questions everybody had a question and you know on one hand that can become time i'm just gonna be honest that can become tiring and i'm the one with the answers so at what point do we say okay yeah like there are something you can go and google that that's okay you can you can look but if I really want you to understand the heart of it, if I really want you to understand the emotion behind it and what's happening, I can't just send you to Google. I can't just send you to go and read Baldwin or Washington like, or, you know, some like I can't. I, I have to be in it with you and understand that. That is the journey. That is the healing. The walk and the unity that we are trying to preserve happens as we walk together. And I can't say, well, hey, that's on you, you know, and I don't want to be traumatized. At some point, we have to say, you know what, I'm going to buck up. And I'm going to actually walk this road with this person. And it might hurt my feelings. I might cry. We have had several conversations where we have both ended up in tears because of some of the things that he's saying. I'm like, why don't you know this? And then you're like, well, why don't you tell me? Why don't you know this? (laughs) You know, there's many things I don't know. You know, it to me, there's just something that.
1: Let's just say that there's been holes about history. Yes. In both of our educations. Yes. That there was things that I was taught about history that you're like, I've never heard that before. Yes. And then there's things that you've taught me that I'm like. Say what? Are you sure about that? Yes.
2: (laughs) But the education came as we walked together. Yeah. And helped each other. Yeah. The bond came. The bond of unity came as we walked together. Not as I told you, Google it.
1: I don't think that our friendship could have withstood that if that had been your answer. I
2: also, yes, I do think that that's true, but I also think that it's so off-putting and so just disunifying that, yeah, like it, it, relationship can't, build on that or in that, but you also did take the time to Google things. You would go and research things and then come to me and be like, what does this mean?
1: And then there were times where you're like, can you please stop Googling this? Yes. It's (laughs) enough already. Like I can't with this anymore. And, but I'm like, no, I'm really trying to understand. This is a very hard concept. And it, I was putting effort into understanding. Yeah, I was making every effort of like, I really wanna understand what this is from your point of view, but I have all these questions. Yeah. And if you had come back to me and just told me, Well, you still you're just not understanding because you're white, or you're just not understanding because you haven't looked in all the right places yet, it would have been so discouraging. And it was hard enough as it was for us to walk this, as it is as it is. It continues to be. Um, I mean, I don't know. What do you think we've spent about 200 hours talking about this over the course of 14, 15 months? Yeah. At least. Yeah. I mean, talk about make every effort.
2: Yeah. Make (laughs) every effort. And I just, I don't agree with the, all the responsibility must lie on you because you're white. That takes any responsibility off of me just Being human, being a black woman, like where? Yeah, I don't know. And and I think that that just sits wrong with me.
1: There there has to be a room for both people in the equation to be looking at this like we're both learning. Yeah. It's not just me, the white person learning. We're both learning Mm -hmm. and we're both going to make mistakes. We're both going to make misstatements. We're both going to struggle. We're both going to fall down, I think that that there's a such a fear by many white people of like, I don't want to have race conversations because I'm afraid. What if I make a mistake? And then this person thinks I'm a racist because I'm just trying to ask a question. I'm just trying to understand. Well,
2: I think the setup is that way. So you ask a question to the wrong person because I'm. there are tons of African-Americans who are willing to have this conversation. But I think those who are currently in the public sphere right now, it's like the, the way it's being set up is that you ask a question and you get the answer wrong and then you cry and it's white tears. You ask a question and the, the mere fact that you're asking the question is now white privilege because you've been able to live so long and not have the answer to this or not have had to thought, think about this question before. So it's like, well, you're, you're privileged because you have never had to think about this question. You've never had to know um, the year that slavery ended on paper versus the year that slavery ended in reality for most.
1: It's not a very nice setup. Yeah. Okay, let's keep going. We'll, we'll probably continue some more of these themes here. Yeah.
0: Patriotic and triumphalism in the ways that we've learned history. And so when you talk to African-Americans, now you have on one side, you have a, 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 a white frailty. Then on the other side, uh, you, you, you have blacks who are dealing with race fatigue syndrome. So you got race fatigue, meeting white frailty. White frailty says, I, 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 that, I, I, I refuse to talk about that. Black, black's on the other side, I'm sick of going back and forth with you about it. But the question is, we have to begin in our walk with Jesus Christ to say, I am not going to let the challenges of what has happened, much as I ain't feeling you. Let me tell you right now, multiplicities of Negroes ain't feeling evangelicalism.
1: Okay, sir. Okay. So let's talk about this. I, I think he he's actually like there's a core of a truthful point here that he's making.
2: Go ahead. Yeah. You go <laughs> you ahead. You can tell
1: me why I'm wrong. Uh I think that the 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 tension of many race conversations is is reflected in that dichotomy of that there's there's sensitivity on one side by white people that, and then they get labeled with white fragility. And then on the other side, there's sort of this fatigue from people of color of like, I just don't want to talk about this anymore. And yet. Here we are making a video. Here we are. But, but, but yet we're supposed to be making every effort. Yes. To keep the unity of, of the body of Christ.
2: Well, I guess my question would be if, if, We take what he said before as true. If whites did more, quote unquote, to research, would blacks feel so fatigued or people of color feel so fatigued? I'm not sure. I just, to your point, make every effort. I feel like tired or not, make the effort And on the white side, if you don't understand, make the effort to find out, make every effort
1: so that there is
2: a meeting in the middle. Does that
1: make sense at all? But there's such a there's such a setup of condemnation that if white people ask the wrong question or too many questions, then we're told to Google it. Well, that goes to my point that I was just
2: (laughs) saying, like the setup itself isn't isn't conducive for either side. And especially for the white side, because it's a thing of Google it. And if you do Google it and you have a question, then it's white privilege, white fragility, white tears, whiteness. You know, like there's all of that. And yet I don't know if we are thinking that Google, Wikipedia, your national library or your local library, you know, is supposed to give you all of the answers. Yes, it can give you the cognitive information that you may be looking for but it doesn't give you the internal emotional information that needs to be shared to fully understand what our experience is and what people are are saying does that mean
1: yeah am i, am I, I, are you I with mean me? yeah because i think that what you're saying is yes information can be a component of the journey but you also need the relationship to really understand what people have been through and that these are people that you know yes and that that Helps build empathy in, in your soul. But I think on the other side of it, black people or people of color are sometimes frustrated that white people don't want to have this conversation enough. And they're like, you know, why don't you want to talk about this? Why are you avoiding it? And then when we do try to talk about it and we do try to ask questions and understand, then we're told, I'm s- asking so many why questions. Why you asking so many questions? I think,
2: I think though, honestly, <laughs> when I look back at my education, in, like, elementary school and junior high school, there were things that were just known. There were things that I was taught about black history and things like that that I'm like,
1: but how do you not know? But I say the same thing to you. I know. How do you not how know? How do I not know? And I don't want to say on the air, like, <laughs> what's some of those things that you do not know? There
2: are some <laughs> things I don't know. <laughs> yes, we, we don't need to talk about that.
1: But... <laughs> Yes, and,
2: and so I feel like the frustration can go both ways. And what about Black fragility? Is that a thing? Can we call it that? Would a white person say, Black people are so fragile. They always got to talk about race. And then as soon as you, talk, you 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 try to talk about it, then they get all sensitive and say you're asking too many questions. I wonder if the roles were reversed. Would, would whites say the same about us? And would we then say that you may have race fatigue because you're tired of going again.
1: And and I'm going to tell you that many white people I know, that's exactly the dynamic is we do. But then how do we, how do we make every effort? Yes. Yes. Because we're both going to have to, I think, get to a place of we're both repenting. And so this goes back to his previous point of he's calling white people to repent I think that everybody, everybody, everybody yes. needs to repent. Everybody needs to go on a sanctifying journey of killing their pride and their quick to be offended way of being. Everybody on both sides mm-hmm. needs to go on that sanctifying journey. And I, I take a little issue with him of focusing on well, this is as if this is just a white person problem. I, I think everybody needs to go through that. If Everybody's fatigued. Everybody needs to take a nap. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right let's let's keep going but one of the things I've been what God's been working on me in my heart is that the root of bitterness sprouting up would defile many and if I allow myself to stew in my frustration towards whites Jesus won't be my center my hatred will but on the other hand whites have to do this assume in jesus mighty name that because there is a offense, an offense that you need to press into that particular offense and begin to educate yourself on okay, beginning to stop. develop the opportunity to
2: yes he says for whites when there is an offense that you must then press into that offense i agree if there's an offense, press into it. Figure out what's wrong. Even the word says if you know that your brother or sister got something against you, go to them before you bring your offering to the altar. Right. Is that not the same for us? Like Where why is it? that call for blacks or people of color who understand and know? And we are in the church and we do know when we didn't set somebody off the wrong way. But that call isn't put out to us. The, I, I take issue with the one-sided responsibility. And I know many people who believe this and would say, but look at the history. Look at how they've done us. Look at how they being white or white evangelicals have supported this system or this injustice. And make every effort. I don't see that call To us being made as well, and I know I'm probably setting off a lot of black people, but it's true. Like they can write to us, and somebody (laughs) will to hit me in the DM. Um, But it is true. It's true that if you're gonna call, you can't have, you can't have this double standard where I'm gonna call you to make to be aware of your offensive ways and your offensive. thought processes and ways of being, and yet because I've endured so much. Or that, your ancestors. Or my ancestors, yes, have endured so much, and then I am not called to that same standard. I don't see that biblically.
1: Okay. I think that's a very fair point. And I think the passage that you're quoting maybe from Matthew 7, um, where the call is that if we know we've offended someone, we should go to them and reconcile with them and do that before we're bringing our, our worship because living in unity really does matter to the father. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's also the the reverse is if I've been offended, Matthew 18, I have a responsibility to go to that person and be reconciled and to be generous in my forgiveness of them. Yes. Not to withhold forgiveness. Um, as a as a practice of my life,
2: and that makes me think of the seven times seventy.
1: It's that same passage, yeah. Yes.
2: And I and I'm just gonna put it out there. I have been guilty of this myself because, and just to be honest, like I used to hold to, like hold tightly to critical race theory, and so you you hear or you say things like. Man, I have not forgiven them enough. They got my ancestors' forgiveness. I have dealt with this enough. At some point, you just have to say enough.
1: I have but forgiveness that, fatigue. Is it sort of like that? Maybe. Yeah. Okay. You yeah, don't put
2: words in my mouth. I don't know. I'm just like so maybe just, somebody's calling it forgiveness fatigue. I don't I'll know. I'm just that's I'll what it sounds it. like. I will to coin me. that. Yeah. But but in all seriousness, like that is not biblical. There is no forgiveness fatigue. Because if it was, I am sure at some point on a Thursday morning, Jesus would be like, "I got forgiveness fatigue today." Sorry, Holy Spirit.
1: <laughs> but yeah, enough forgiveness you, for you.
2: Yes, and and honestly, he would look at me and be like, "You know what, Monique? Hey, it's Tuesday. I got forgiveness fatigue." And but he doesn't do that with us. So how can we then do that with others? Let's keep going.
0: Do not have reductionistic ways in which you try to cause racial reconciliation, like through hiring non-qualified African-Americans to be the multi-ethnic engineers in your local churches. And you know they're not qualified because blacks haven't hired them. And and, and it works against unity when you hire somebody that we're not feeling. And you're wondering why multi ethnicity isn't happening at your church, it's because you have a person that's black on the outside, but Angloid on the inside. Stop the film, because here we go. <laughs>
2: why must we, as, as black people, because I don't really know if they do this in other cultures, but we will be so quick to quote unquote pull someone's card. Pulling someone's card is to lessen their blackness. So I'm going to take away your black card. Where's your black card? You ain't seen that movie, girl. Let me Give me your black card. You don't know that song, girl? Give me your black card. I haven't business this
1: card. Do you have one? I've looked in your wallet. No. Oh. Nope. Do I, they I, hand them out when you're born? Like, how may, does that work?
2: I don't know. Maybe it's, <laughs> I just, I, I don't know. But it really, it bothers me because mm-hmm. in... In saying I'm taking your card, it is also saying that it's also just saying other derogatory things without using those it, terms. It's highly
1: demeaning. It is, yeah.
2: and to like to say that you are a coon, you know, or you're white on the on the inside, but you're black on the outside and white on the inside. But well, what does that mean? Like, so now I am not according to your standards as black as I should be
1: thinking like a black person.
2: And what does that mean? Does that mean that all blacks must think the same way in order for us to all be black group identity is big within the black community. And I love that. And I hate that at the same time. It's at what point can I have my own thoughts? At what point can I speak in a way that's maybe different than the way someone else speaks
1: uh, and I want our white viewers to have an appreciation for what you're saying, because we can be anywhere on the spectrum. For example, politically, white people can be liberal. They can be conservative. They can be anarchists. They can be something in between. Nobody questions your race unless you're a, some really radicalized white supremacist that you're betraying your race if you think a certain way. But but putting that aside, by and large, white people don't have this this group identity, cultural yeah. pressure for everybody to think the same. And I don't think I you've one of the things you've helped me understand is the, the there is pressure for black people to think a certain way, like thought diversity is not
2: always allowed no and like if i were to go to some of my friends and be like you know what whiteness really isn't a thing or okay so we're talking about whiteness and it is a thing but are we also going to talk about blackness or uh, uh, black privilege if white privilege is a thing is not black privilege a thing or do are white people the only one with privilege If I don't agree that racism equals prejudice plus power, if I have a different definition of racism, then that's a problem. Or if I believe that black people can be racist, that's a problem. Like, there's so many things. But to to openly, I feel like from the pulpit now, like, it's one thing if you sitting with your homies, you up on the couch and you're sharing your thoughts and you aren't in Christianity at all, like this is in your sphere. Then You're not in a leadership position from the pulpit. These are comments that I am not condoning, but am not going to say, oh, I'm surprised by that. But you are now standing before people, leading them under God, reading from the scriptures and saying that you know, there's a problem because he's really not black. He's really white on the inside. What's wrong with being white? You know, like, so to me, what he's saying is that this person that you hired, we wouldn't hire anyway because he's really not black. He's not black enough. Not black enough. Not black. Yeah. There's something intrinsically wrong with being white because this person is white on the inside. I don't understand. And it, yeah, it really makes me quite Make sad. every
1: effort. Make every
2: effort. And I don't see the effort there.
1: Yeah. All right. I think she said it all. So let's keep going to the end here.
0: If we're going to do unity together, we have to have less reductionistic strategies and begin to get at the table and look at the glory of Christ's commitment to say, yes, Stop it, we have pr-
2: less reductionistic strategies, but yet you just reduce someone's value, dignity and worth by saying they were less than what they were created to be because they act a way that does not align with how you feel someone who is black should act. Like just just be with that.
1: And I think that on my side of it as as the white person in the conversation, it's important for me to point out to our white viewers, uh, uh, part of what he's alluding to there is reductionistic strategies. I think I'm reading this into it is when we come along and say race shouldn't matter, and, yes. and we're saying like we should be a colorblind society. And we don't want to talk about the past as if the past has no impact on the present. Yes. Um, that's what he's referring that to. That is what he is, that, that, with, with, That's what I would assume. He, he doesn't agree. spell it yes. out, but that's what I'm assuming he's referring to. Yes. On the other hand, I, there is a point that we neglected to make earlier along these lines that, that I want to make clear. I think that one of the, the mistakes of critical race theory is collapsing the present and the past. As if the the because of the past, we can't move into a future that is different. You know that hmm. that that the past determines the future, yes. and that my responsibility hasn't maybe played a role into anything in the present. Hmm. That my whole present situation is completely dependent on what happened to my ancestors in the past. So, and I just
2: had a conversation with someone about that exact same thing. One of the things that I feel like critical race theory does is says like something like theft would be okay. So you grew up in poverty and now you steal, well, you really can't blame him because he grew up in poverty because he was a part of a system that did not favor him or that didn't the system did not promote him because of his race. Does
1: that make sense? Yeah. And I think that that's problematic because from a Christian worldview standpoint, um, we are morally responsible for what we do. And that's not to say that our past is of no importance, but God holds us responsible for what we do. Mm -hmm. And that is how his his fair judgments work. And so um, if I'm engaging in theft today, um, I'm still going to be morally responsible for that. I can't make an appeal to, well, my ancestors were enslaved 100, 150 years ago. And so that's why I steal today. Like and that doesn't really work in God's economy. Growing up, we
2: used to have a saying, two wrongs don't make a right. Right. You know, and so it's kind of like, yes, yeah, slavery was wrong. But now segregation m- was segregation wrong. Segregation was wrong. But my my wrong and my ceiling does not now make make the situation right. Yeah, because I now have something right. that I didn't have before.
1: Very good. OK, let's keep going here.
0: Problems. Yes, we have issues and yes, we have frustrations. So every now and then, as these two minutes go past for me to done, it makes me go to Revelation 7. And I go to Revelation 7, and although the J-dubs, they stop at verse 8 because they believe 144,000 ministry, we believe in more than that, myriads and myriads of believers are going to be Pentecostalized in the presence of God and in, in, in looking like their ethnic selves in their different dialects from Australia to ancient Kemet, uh, to South Africa, uh, 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 to Denmark, to Greenland, uh, 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 to Zambia, to ancient Ethiopia, current Ethiopia, America, Afro-Caribbeans, all different peoples from all tribes and languages are going to be around the throne yelling and glorifying the name of Jesus Christ in their tongue. But all st-
1: of us stop in a second. I don't know if that's true. I, I mean, I think that's a bit of a speculation. And I'm okay with engaging in a speculation. I like to speculate myself once in a while, but I don't know if we have enough information biblically to know what we're going to look like in the new creation. Whether we're all going to speak the same language. Whether we're all going to still be speaking our earthly human languages. Whether there's going to be a heavenly language that's going to unite us. Um, I don't know how our bodies are going to be transformed. Um, I am assuming that I think it's an interesting thought experiment to think about our race and our ethnicity being preserved in the new creation, but perfected and glorified. I think that's an interesting speculation. Jesus was a Middle Eastern Jew. Um, Maybe he still looks like that in his glorified body. I I think that that's possible, but I'm not sure that we're all going to be gathered around the throne, still speaking in human languages. Um, I don't know. I don't know yeah. if that's true, but I'm okay with engaging that in that experiment. I do think that it would, it would be interesting. Um, and we should do a conversation sometime about segregation in the church and go into all that whole question. Yes. But um, I think it would be great if we saw more multilingual expressions of worship yes. in, in our churches. Mm-hmm. And that aspect of it, I could get behind, yes. and that that is sort of a a pointer forward to the glorified state, that, and 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 as well as our current reality of all being unified in in Christ. So, yeah, that that was just I wanted to make a quick comment about that.
2: So. I don't have any thoughts. I, I I've always thought that you know I look like this now, and when I get to heaven, I'll probably still look like this. You know,
1: yeah. So. That way, I'll be able to find you there's that
2: <laughs> I'll be the one right next to you
1: yeah that smile I'm not gonna forget that in the new creation all right let's let's keep going here
0: I'm gonna say have on the same white outfit and we're gonna overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony it reminds me as I close, Philadelphia Eagles just won the championship recently and I didn't go out in the streets, but I looked out in the streets. One million people, Irish, Italian, Boricua, all different, black folk, Niger, everybody is out there in the streets, one million people tearing the streets of Philadelphia up about a game that none of them played. They had on the same color jersey with somebody else's name on the back of it. And all of the differences that they had. And, All of the frustrations that they had because somebody had won for them, they gathered around the ones who beat the game for them versus fighting each other. All I want to tell you today is in heaven, we're going to have on the same jersey. In heaven, we're going to be have on a white robes and we're going to be saying glory and honor and dominion and power to the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Have mercy, God. We bless you, God. Glory in the highest. Glory adios, us for unity in the church.
1: Okay. That's a good ending. Yeah. And I do agree. I do agree. I think it's a wonderful vision. And I would just add to that, that we are, are already seated in heavenly places. According to Mm -hmm. Ephesians two, we are already in white. We are already ruling and reigning with Christ on some level. And as a preview of what we will do in the new creation, my hope, my prayer is that we will work and make every effort toward unity in the walk in the bond of peace as Christ's people here on earth, as it is in heaven. And may we repent of our pride. May we repent of our ease of writing one another off, calling each other names on both sides of the fence. May we repent of our, our, our comfort at writing people off because we think that they're ignorant. May we repent of calling one another names, as it says in the book of James, um, that we shouldn't use our mouth to call one another names and then worship the Lord with our same mouth because they are created in the image of God. Mm-hmm. May we repent of um, our laziness and yeah. to to make every effort to keep the bond of peace yeah. with one
2: another. I think um, my thought on that is, Maybe really fight for it. Yeah. You know, like there's the repentance part, but then what do you do after you turn?
1: We're going to have to be in some hard risks. Yeah. We're going to have to be willing to get hurt. Yep. We're going to have to be willing to be in some relationships and to go again and to go again and to go again, to forgive again, (laughs) forgive again.
2: Yeah. Forgive again. And to fight for it, to make every effort and, and to be willing to walk that out, no matter what that looks like, because if, if we can't do it,
1: then what? The world will n- has no hope. No. Christians of all people should figure out how to do this. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that is, I
2: think that is what is most troubling for me is that what I see is, is the church today adopting the language and, and structure of the world and we're bringing that into the church. And now we're saying, hey, look, this is what's wrong, but we should the church should be the ones really working this out and saying we are going to go again and we're going to go again. And then we're going to create a model so that you in the world can know how to go again and you can adopt this model on how to go again.
1: Yeah. Amen. We hope this has helped you and yeah. um, provide some helpful information And encouraged you and provoked your thinking. And we look forward to hearing your feedback. Thanks for watching. Bye.